All right. I want to start off today's sermon by giving you a list of things that people normally do every day. Uh, if you're in the land of the living, uh, there are things that we do every day. Because the very first verse of this passage says, but now you must put them all away, verse 8. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk out of your mouth. So there's some things that we do on an everyday basis. Uh, things like waking up, amen, uh, getting dressed, eating food, brushing teeth, amen, bathing, and hopefully a lot of these things on, you know, have already been done by those of us who have been, you know, come to church this morning to be with the Lord. Um, hopefully, if you did not do those things, um, we know what to pray for. Amen. But did you know that there are some things that we do every minute of every single day? Things like looking around. You know? Things like hearing sound. Touching things. There's not a day that goes by and not a minute that goes by that you're not touching something more than likely. Amen? You know? Reading things. And not just uh, reading books, uh, but reading your phone or reading instructions, um, reading the license plate on someone's car ahead of you and on your way to wherever your destination is, amen, uh, while you're traveling. And those are things that we do every day. There are things that we do every minute. And there are some things we even do every second. Um, did you know that there are things that, you know, you probably not even have really even thought about? Things like breathing in, in and out. You do that every second. You will breathe several times before, you know, we finish this message. Amen? Uh, things like blinking your eyes. How many people think that you could not blink by the time I'm finished? <laughs> right? Things like, you know, involuntary things like sweating. You know? Skin shedding. Your nails are growing right now. You know, your hair is growing, well, with, with the exception of me and Mike. But for the most part, your hair is growing, uh, but not always in all areas. And I say this to say, you know, I'll give you this list to just say this. Um, the verses preceding the eighth verse, when it talks about, but also put all these, these things away, um, it speaks mainly of sexual sins, getting rid of sexual sins. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that. Um, and how the body of Christ must abstain from sins of that nature, sexual sins, which is true. Paul said it this way, and you can just trust me, it's there. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 2 through 4 says this, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And this is the first thing he mentions. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Amen? So it's like when you come into Christ, sexual sins are like holiness 101. It's the basics. It's the basics of holy living. God is commanding us, stop having sex in ways that God told you not to. It's basic. Let's face it. That's what God is commanding, when you first get saved, a lot of folks harp on sexual sins, right? Right? You know, we 
try to figure out whether or not you say about what you're doing privately. You know? But here's the other side of that. This is not an area that we do all the time. We are not always committing sexual sins. You're sitting in church. Thank God you're not doing it now. <laughs> Meaning there are times when you deal with temptation and there are times when you don't. Right? This is not something you do every second of the day. Right? People don't fall into sexual sin all day long. It takes a certain set of circumstances to end up in sexual sins. Uh, there are things that we need to do with our lives that have nothing to do with sex, but there are, there's another area, or another area, should I say, that I believe where Christians can deal with sin on, on, on an ongoing basis every second of their lives. Amen? And it starts, you know, in the moment that you decide to open your mouth. Uh, it does not take long to sin with your words. It doesn't take but a second for you to say the wrong thing. Right? You don't have to have a huge setup to that. Amen? It doesn't take long for you to say what's been stored up in your heart or in your mind. To let out what you, know, what you really think about me. <laughs> James says it this way, James 3, 2 and 3, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. He is able to bridle his whole body. Then verse 3 says it, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So let me decode that. He's basically saying, if you can control your mouth perfectly, then there's a good chance you can control your whole body. Uh, and let's face it, going back to sexual sins, right? Most, if not all, the sexual sins we've ever gotten into, it all started with something we said to somebody we shouldn't have been saying it to. Right? Somebody we shouldn't have been talking to in the first place. Or sometimes somebody that we said the wrong thing to. We said yes when we should have said no. <laughs> Amen. Now, in our Christian communities, saints, we tend to focus more on what I would call the top tier or popular obvious sins. Right? Sins like murder and stealing and sex. Yet I would submit to you that the sins we commit the most and all the time are the ones with our mouths. And these are the ones that we actually don't pay that much attention to. Am I right? So Colossians 3, 8 through 13, starting at the 8th verse, Colossians 3, the 8th verse says this. But now... In addition to all the sexual stuff that he mentioned before, he said, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. What is anger? 
a continuous attitude of hatred that remains bottled up within. And this could refer to what's under the surface, right? So I have anger issues. Now, the word of God is, is not preventing anger. But in this case, what we're talking about in the context here, we're talking about when you say your words in an angry manner, right? You're angry about something, and it comes out angry, right? Okay? Uh, anger has the ability, if not under God's control, to destroy whole communities. Anger can destroy the unity in a church. Anger can destroy the unity and harmony in a family or, or co-workers or, or in some kind of whatever group that you're in. Amen? Now, anger is different than wrath. I'm just going to briefly just define terms. Wrath is not necessarily anger. Wrath is outburst of anger. Right? And I've used this before, but we can all kind of tell sometimes when it happens when folks are driving on a freeway and you, we call it road rage. Amen. Anger is an outburst of anger or quick-tempered, you know, for selfish reasons. This could mean, you know, a continual or uncontinual, like constant uncontrolled behavior, c controlled under, you know, uh, constantly uh, out of control with your anger where you just kind of burst out. Uh, you, you've seen people with Tourette's syndrome. And it, for no reason, just, now don't laugh, Barbara, that's not funny. But people, you know, they have tics and twitches. They can't control them. They wish they control, could control them. There are people, there are saints of God that have anger issues and they're out of control. Amen? Because he's not talking to the world here. He's talking to the church. Amen? So he's saying we can have anger. We need to make sure that that's in the right context. We can have wrath, which means your anger is, is seeping out of your pores or it is not under the control of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Ephesians 4.26 says this, Be ye angry and sin not. So you can be angry about something. It's like, ah, you did me wrong. I don't like what you did. How you respond could be determined whether or not you're actually going into sin. Amen? Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Interesting word there. In other words, keep it under control. You can, you know, I might be angry over about something for two weeks. I could be angry over something for two years. But by wrath, now that's that's dangerous. We can't just let the wrath just go completely out of control for all that time. Amen? It's not that you can't be angry about wrongdoing. It's that your anger must be under control to the point to where it becomes, it does not become wrath. Uh, to do this, um, what we must do is we must, you know, day by day, not allow ourselves to sit in it. Don't let, you know, the sun go down on it. You know, so in other words, basically you got a certain amount of time before the anger can turn to wrath and the wrath can turn into something poisonous or dangerous. So he's given us some time. He's like, you know, you, you, I want you to register what happened. Your feelings are not wrong. I, I allow you to have anger, but I want you to make sure that you're not out of control and you're not just spewing that anger out and, and, and allowing, you know, by, by festering and feeding on it and feeding on it and feeding on it, you become a person that, that, that's wrathful. Make sense? So don't let the anger, you know, you hurt me this morning. The clock is ticking. 
how long am I going to focus on this? You hear what I'm saying? Because then it can turn into something terrible. All right. Malicious behavior. Malice. Next word. Doing evil despite the good that has been done to you. Mm. God has blessed you and kept you and, and been merciful to you. And somebody does something wrong with you and now you are plotting. <laughs> we've had a meeting about you. And we've decided that we need to get you. I've gotten some help. I have staff members now to make sure that we deal with what you did to me. Now, God does not do us like that. Praise the Lord, right? Of all the things we've done wrong, he is not treating us maliciously. Righteously, yes, but not maliciously. Amen? We're sitting there plotting how to get somebody, you know? Uh, The word is... uh, a general term referring to an evil force that destroys relationships. You know, um, I say things to harm relationships. And it kind of goes into the next word, which is slander. Uh, it kind of goes along with malicious behavior. It's um, where I, you know, decide to tell things that are not true. I leave things out about you and, you know, or I, I, put, I insert things to make things seem a certain way about you. I, I'm slandering your character. And I want to make sure that other people notice it. I want, I want anybody just to know how, how horrible you really are. You see what I'm saying? Slandering your name. Then, last one, obscene talk. Now, this is an interesting thing because people like, you know, I can put David on the spot here. David and I are comedians. So we can think quite a few things are funny. And I, I can't speak for David in this area, but the Lord has been working on me. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, David, right? The, you know, when I first started preaching, everything was a joke. And, and you know, there are so many things I could be saying right now that come to my mind. I am saved, but it's not always appropriate, right? It's not appropriate. It's like, you know, Pastor Jamie, you're a pastor. And there were things in my past when I was teaching the youth class, and they would be like, wow, we love this guy. Why? Because I was crazy. And I would say things, they'd be like, you've got to come back next Sunday. Jamie's preaching again. He's going to say some things. They will never forget what he said. And then somebody came to me and said, you know what? You're so funny, you're outshining your message. Oh. They remembered more about you than they did about Jesus. Ah, and I had a little sting. I said, you're gifted, Jamie, but you ain't that funny. Jesus didn't find that funny because people ain't getting, they're not being affected by it. Because all they're thinking about is how to, you know, we can go to church and talk dirty. We can go to church and say crazy things. Look at the pastor's son, he's doing it. They let him preach. I guess it must be Okay. Right? Wrong. Put away those things. Slander, obscene talk, malice. I don't want to focus too much on the terms because I want to get to the heart of what's happening here. Put away those things. Then verse 9 says this. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. I love that word, practices. You know, 
You know, we got people that have a dental practice. What do you do? I work on teeth. Yeah, medical practice, what do you do? I, you know, I work in the medical, medical profession. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a medical practice. And then there are Christians that just practice lying. What do you do? I just be telling lies. <laughs> this is a part of your practice. This means it's habitual. Don't lie to each other. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. There's a clean cut between the new you and the old you. And you're making a decision on a daily basis by how you speak and what you say. Thank you, Holy Spirit. To make sure that you don't say things that offend God. Say things that represent the old you and not the new you. Well, I didn't tell a blatant lie, Pastor. I just stretched the truth. You know, I was... I'm 50 years old, and I went down to the basketball game, and, you know, down in the hood, and, you know, I was playing against these kids, you know, and they, you know, they're 17, 18, 19 years old, stuff like that, and they're pretty good, you know, but I made about, I made some good shots, you know, I made, I scored about 40 points, you know, you know, I did good. For my old self, you know, I feel, I feel pretty good about it. No, you didn't. You're lying. You didn't score 40 points. You scored two against a small guy. And the rest of the time you were there, they took your face and pretty much used your face to clean the court with it. Because that's how horrible you were. And by the time you finished playing, you were on your way to out the base because you didn't feel well. That's the truth. That's the whole truth. Girl, when I came to that party, man, I tell you, I had it on. I had it on. They loved my outfit. I mean, people just kept telling me they were so cute. I was so cute. No, not everybody said that. Two people noticed your shoes. Two people. There was a thousand people in the building. There were two people that said something. Not everybody cared about what you had on. Stop lying. We call that exaggeration. It's the Christian lie. You know, I preached and so many souls came to Christ. I mean, everybody ran to the altar. No, not everybody ran to the altar. That's not true. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what we do. We lie. He's saying, don't lie to one another. And don't lie because lying causes trust issues. And there should not be trust issues in the body of Christ. That causes problems with with, uh, relationships. I need to be able to know that when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to someone who is speaking the truth like Jesus would call them to. You know, a lot of times what we do is we, we tell lies to protect ourselves or better our image. Or sometimes we tell lies to keep people under control. If I don't tell you the whole truth, you don't make a good decision on everything that, I, that you need to know. You know what I mean? I leave out options that you could have. I told you some of it. I didn't tell you all of it. It's a form of control. There's no freedom there for you. Amen? So we should not lie to each other. Amen? Seeing that you put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and have already... Right now, because of what Christ has done, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. I love this verse because it's basically saying this. There's two-sided, there's a two-sided way of seeing this renewed. Number one, I am what? In prayer. I am in the word, in the knowledge, right? The knowledge, that's reading my Bible, reading the word, storing up the word after the image of my creator. Amen. I am doing what I know to do to become more like Christ. 
Amen? I'm praying. I'm reading. I'm, I'm spending time in the presence of God. I'm filling myself up on the Word. But it's also the other side of it, which means, you know, because I have already been placed into Christ Jesus because of what Jesus Christ has done, He's given me the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is inside of me, and He is renewing things. There's some involuntary things that happen. As I read the Word, He is doing something with that Word. Just kind of like your stomach involuntarily, but you don't even think about it. You eat something, and you take that in, and it, it starts to make some changes to that food, and it gives you nourishment and makes you stronger, and you become you know, nourished by that food. You don't do that. Thinking about it is something that you just kind of do. You put the food in your mouth, and before you know it, your body starts to do things naturally to that food that makes you benefit from it. You read your word, the Holy Spirit that is in you is naturally doing something on the inside of you that you can't even see, that you don't even know. He's renewing you. So we don't take credit for our growth. I've already been renewed. I've already been placed in Christ Jesus. And he has given me his Holy Spirit. So every time I pray, every time I do whatever I do for the glory of God, the Holy Spirit is doing something that I can't even see. So how did I end up becoming mature or becoming more like Christ? And, you know, 10 years ago, I wasn't thinking this way. What happened? The Holy Spirit was doing something in you that you can't even take credit for. You are being renewed daily. He's living inside of you. So there's a two-sided thing. You must do your part in the knowledge and growing in the knowledge by reading the Word. Turn off the TV. Kill the distractions. You're being renewed. Why? Because you want to know your new self. You want to walk in and be the man and woman of God that God has called you to be. How do, I, how do I get strengthened in that? Well, the Holy Spirit is doing his part and you're doing your part. You're making up your mind to be like Christ. Amen? Put on the new self. So I'm not going to talk in these ways. I'm not going to use my mouth in these ways. I'm not going to exaggerate statistics. I'm not going to, you know, get into rumors and gossip. I'm not going to lie and destroy people slander their name. I'm not going to lie and control people. Amen, you know, and take their options. Something is happening that's causing us to grow day by day into the image of Christ. Amen. It's kind of like when your nails grow. They just keep growing. When you've been born again, like naturally when you were born, you started walking and doing things and, and now you're progressing and you were crawling and, you know, and getting into stuff. Now you're standing upright and, and getting in mama's cabinets and taking out stuff. You know, Get out of there, boy. You're getting so tall. And next thing you know, you know, you're looking at almost a basketball player. My, my son, Jamie, I'm amazed. He's wearing my shoe size. You know, he just kept growing. It's, a, it's, it's what we do naturally. So the same thing happens in the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? You just keep growing. You don't get born again and then stop growing. And the growth is for a reason. He wants you to start to put on the new self. He said, you are, you know, it, it is being renewed. You know, you have already put on the new self. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, my son's feet look like this. He's like, you know, he's not even as tall as me, but he's, his feet are like, you know, stretching out. And I'm going, wow, look at this. This is amazing. This, you're showing me you're going to even get taller. I hope God doesn't leave your feet like that. That's, we're going to have to work that out. We're going to balance this thing out. Right? Same thing with you. We balance this thing out. We, you know, we start to mature. We start to grow. And before you know it, Christianity starts looking good on you. Ooh, it starts to fit. Put on the new self. Put on the new self. Amen? Now, here's the thing. Here in the church, verse 11. Ooh, Lord, you're doing this. Here in this church, he's talking to 
the people of God. He's talking to the body of Christ. He's talking to you and I years later. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. That's your, how do I say this, Lord? That is your racism statement. Okay? We are to be like Christ. We are to put these things away. We are not to treat each other in a certain way. We're not to talk in a certain way that is against God. There's something at stake. But what helps us and empowers us to do that is not only how I see myself as in putting on a new self, but how I see my brothers and sisters in Christ. Here is not, there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, free. But Christ is all, and he is in all. Be careful how you look at your fellow church members. Ooh. That's a very sobering thought. Christ is living in the people who are redeemed, the people who are saved. What does that do? If I see you as someone who is carrying the Holy Spirit, how do I look at you? Huh? Well, we had these issues, you know, because Christ accepts all that come to him and nothing should divide believers. Nothing should keep the believers from experiencing unity. And what he's saying here in context, thank you, Holy Spirit, is how you talk to people can cause division. But deeper than that, how you see each other will decide what kind of words you use. So if I'm looking down on you, then that's the reason why my words aren't sounding like Jesus. Oh, right? Here we go. So you had, you know, racial and national distinctions, uh, the Jew and the Gentile. Uh, you had these Greeks that were coming into the church. You know, we've shown this, we, we talked about this before in Galatians, right? And, and the Greeks were coming in, and they, you know, regardless of their country or the, you know, their origin, the Greeks felt a certain amount of pride because the Greeks had taken over the world. So you had these Greeks who were like looking like, you know, we are Greeks, and we up in this church, and you're going to treat me like I am somebody. And the Jews were clinging to their ancient culture, which was seen as antiquated. So the Greeks were looking down at the Jews, saying, you guys are behind the times. Y'all have been conquered anyway. Y'all ain't about nothing, right? Then you had the Jews, meanwhile, who were looking down at the Greeks, folks, and saying, you know what? But you eat pork, you nasty, disgusting heathen. You know, and you're immoral, and I don't like the way you dress, and you're outside of God's chosen nation. So they're bringing all that old school Jewish stuff in there, and it's causing problems, and now my words are being changed. And how I'm talking to you, why? Because of how I see you. The Greeks didn't have the law, so these saints were a little rough around the edges, and the Jews are looking at these folks like, you know what? Jesus got a few things he still needs to smooth out in you. And so that's why I'm looking at you crazy. 
You know, it's a different dress code. And, you know, maybe they showed up to church playing Al Green right before they walked in. Love and happiness. <laughs> hey. And they walked in and it's like, see what they're playing? These folks ain't saved. Look at them. And I change how I talk to you. Why? Because I'm having a problem. I'm not seeing Christ in you. And I got a schedule of how I want him to change you. And Jesus hasn't done it on my schedule. He's doing it on his schedule, which is forcing me to have to sit here and wait on, on, you know, on him to change you if he decides to change you in that way or not. And so I have no choice but to sit here and love you. And it's uncomfortable to me. Because honestly, I really don't like all your differences and all your stuff. You come in with a bunch of stuff I'm not used to. I'm saying I'm a Jew. Turn that off. Fix that up. You can't come to church looking like that. What's wrong with you? You see what I'm saying? And all of that stuff is in my body. And I'm sitting there talking about we unified in Christ. And I'm looking at you half crazy. What's the problem? I'm not seeing Jesus in you. Because Jesus is not correcting things in you on my schedule. He's like, no, I'm going to sit here and wait. So I teach you how to love. The bigger picture is actually maybe he's working on you. Oh, right? Because if we are totally honest, we all are a little rough around the edges, right? And then God starts smoothing some things out. But somebody had to lovingly wait on us and give us some time, just like God gave them time, right? Amen. I'm not making excuses for immorality. I still don't know what I'm saying here. Hear me clearly. I'm not saying live unholy lives. What I am saying is that there are people who are different than you. And they come from God knows where, and we got to have some patience with those people. Otherwise, we are undoing the kingdom that God is actually trying to build. Okay. So if you get out of your car playing love and happiness, just turn it down. There were religious distinctions. Folks that were uncircumcised versus first folks that were circumcised. There was a physical mark on the male, you know what, and, and there were people that were Jews that really, really prized that because that was saying that we are God's chosen people and we were identified by the marking in that particular area. And the Gentiles were uncircumcised. Now, I don't know, and I can't even imagine how that conversation got started. Where we're going to we'll talk about that area of your life in church. That's just inappropriate. But there were people who were proud of that and were looking down at others because they had not made that decision or they were not real Jews or whatever have you. They weren't circumcised. And that was causing them to focus on their differences instead of focusing on their similarities in God. Amen? And that was changing their words and how they talked to people. Then you had cultural distinctions. You had barbaric and, you know, uncivilized, slave and free, economic, dis you know, distinctions. All of these things... You know, I, I, I'm not a slave, and you are, and I'm going to talk to you crazy. Or, I am a slave, and you're not, and I'm upset about that. So, you must be nice to be you. You know, you know what I'm saying? Now, I didn't curse, but did you feel that? Is that causing unity? No. Economic distinctions. You know, I got a little something. You don't have a little something. I can help you out. Uh, you know, but you're looking at me crazy. And I'm looking at you like in a way that I'm looking down at you. You know, you know, you guys go to Popeye's chicken? We don't eat. That's, that's like 
city ghetto food. We don't eat that. You know, people, they, people do that. You know, and, and maybe they don't say it verbally, but it's in their hearts. And it's causing, you know, there's this separation in the church that should not be. Amen? It should not be. I've seen a lot of different cultures. I won't name a certain culture, but they're very materialistic. They're very, very materialistic. And they can look at you a certain way. And then if they look at you a certain way, they, they, they kind of look down on you because you don't have what they have. And that's causing problems in the church. Amen? Causing problems in the church. So Christ is all that matters. And then Christ is in all. He was in every believer. Every believer, here's the point here, saints. Every believer is responsible to get rid of their sinful practices, not just in their bedrooms, but in their thoughts, in their hearts, and in their mouths. Amen? We can't just talk about folks like that and think things and speak those kind of words. Amen? Then as, you know... I don't want to say it. I think I want to just skip down here. I'm running out of time here. Here's a question I want to ask you. Let's reverse it. If everyone is seen as the same, how would we treat each other? What would happen if the world saw Christians as people who were putting more of a priority on how we love each other versus a priority on pointing out everybody's sins and differences. What would happen if unsaved folks came to church around this whole entire country and saw such love and peace and joy with the believers that they said to themselves, I went to this place on Sunday and it was totally different than anything I've ever experienced. The people there were different. They were different than the folks in my job. They were different than the folks in my family. They were different than the folks in my home. They were different than the folks at the, the club or the sports game. What would happen if they experienced the church like that? Amen? You know, when we loved each other, when we saw, saw the best of each other, we didn't condemn our differences, amen? What would the impact be in this world if, it, you know, if we were really focused on how we were effectively loving each other? Why would anybody believe you when you say you need to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ and then come be faithful to this church when they run into the same kind of folks in the world that they do in the church? Hmm? When folks are just as mean and nasty as their supervisors. It's a sh you're shooting yourself in the foot. It's one thing to go fishing and put the fish in the basket or in, in the boat. It's another thing to go fishing and throw them right back in the water. <sighs> That's what some of us do. You know? That's, we've experienced that. And we're, why? Because we're so focused on the sexual sins and drinking and partying and not realizing that we have a mouth problem. <laughs> I'm talking to me. Huh? I'm talking to me. I'm, I'm saying I, got, I have a mouth problem. I was talking to a pastor this morning. He was saying, you know, one of the things that we have to realize is that we are glorified when Jesus comes back. Which means right now, with your saved, sanctified selves, you ain't glorified yet. Which means there's always an area that God is cleaning and pruning and cutting and snipping and making right. We're not escaping the correction of God. 
Are you hearing me? Now, I may not do what I used to do in Holiness 101, but I'm in Holiness maybe 401 or something like that, and I still have issues. Verse 12, I'm almost done. Two more verses, we're done. So here's the thing. He's saying, put on then. I mean, just do it. Just do it. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I'll go into that in a little bit, but just do it. Don't think too hard about it and give yourself an excuse and come up with excuses why you should not put on the new self. There's people that will give you reasons. <laughs> if you get out of bed, you're going to run into a reason. Your kids, your husband, your wife, your co-workers, whatever. God is saying, in spite of all that, put on the new self. Just do it. Why? Because there's something at stake. There's something at stake here. Let me just break, break this down for you real quick. Paul is offering a list of virtues to be adopted as believers, strategy to live for God day by day in social activities of life. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I am living for God. I am being like Jesus. Well, you're going to prove it in your social activity. The proof will be in how not you pray to God, but how you treat each other. Am I right about that, Rick? Amen? Compassionate hearts. Genuine sensitivity and heartfelt sympathy for the needs of others. I don't see a need to just go, you know, be well, brother. I'm praying for you. I know you need a burger, but... No, I'm going to do something about it. Kindness. Being charitable. Amen? And so I'm sympathetic to you, and, I, and, I, and that goes into kindness. I, I, I feel or see, perceive a need, and I do something to try to meet the need. I, I go out of my way. You know, now, you know, I, I, I respond generously, generosity, you know, uh, to the needs of others. Uh, believers uh, have received kindness from God. He meets my need. How many people have been starving? Nobody in here. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Ain't happening, right? I don't care how low I get, God provides. It, I don't, and I've been some low places that look like he wasn't going to come through, but day after day after day, he's been faithful to me and I've been eating ever since. Now, because of that kindness that I do not deserve, that I've only gotten because of the grace of God, because of what Jesus Christ did on my behalf, in spite of my record and my sin, I now extend that grace and mercy to others. Amen? I'm saved to be a, you know, a person who can help other people. Amen? This does not come naturally. You must have the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, you know, 22 and uh, 23. Amen. Amen. Then next one, humility, an attitude of self-esteem. That is neither puffed up with pride nor self-depreciating. Uh, Amen? It is a true understanding of one position with God. I see myself in the right way because I know that if it had not been for the grace of God, I would not be in the family of God. So I don't walk around puffed up when I look at everybody else. I have been grafted into the family of God, not because I was most wonderful when he was looking for me. 
So my right way of seeing myself in God causes me to see others that are in God in the same way. We're all up in here because of Jesus. Period. So what does that mean? You don't walk into an arrogant saint because they're constantly thinking, man, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, if it had not been for him, if it had not been for the goodness of Jesus, where would I be? I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. He reached down to the depths and he saved my soul in spite of me. And now how dare I talk to you like I was somehow found and not lost. Are you hearing me? Amen. Amen. All right. And meekness is not to be confused with weakness. It, is, it means consideration for others and willingness to give up one's rights. I have a problem in that area. Barbara said me too. There's, a, there's two of us that have a problem in that area. Well, Doretha, anybody else? 45, anybody, 75, 75, 85, 85, 85, 90, 90, sold. I am often reminding myself of, I don't have to. It is my right. You can't make me do it. And I struggle. My children go, Daddy, you got a problem in that area. I refuse to have my, I don't, you know, I wasn't even a part of the civil rights movement. I got it bad. You know, I just had this thing where it's like, you know, listen, don't step on my rights. Okay? I know my rights. You hear me? That's just the kind of person I am. So the Lord has to work on me. Because sometimes he says, Jamie, I want you to lower all that for my benefit, for the benefit of the kingdom. And you protecting yourself in this area is not helping me. You protecting yourself is actually not doing what I want to be done. And here's the example of, of a great meek, uh, a meekness personified. Jesus had every right to wipe us out. And he went to the cross when his rights were totally violated. Died a sinner's death when he was righteous and completely sinless gave up his life, sat there watching them put a nail in his hand, knowing that he was innocent. Never called for a lawyer, never nothing. He gave up his rights. Why? Because if he hadn't defended his rights, where would we be? Amen? Christ is our example of that. And then patience. Patience means long suffering there are some people who will try your patience I just told you how many times do I have to I mean I mean can't you get it through your thick skull that this is, this doesn't, I mean, how, how long is it going to take you to figure this out? I have been suffering because of you. I've been suffering since yesterday. It's now another day. I'm still suffering. Long patience. Again, who's our example? How long has God been suffering? 
dealing with Jamie and David and Mike and Dorothy and Keith. How many times did we say we wasn't going to, we wasn't going to, we stopped, we stopped, we, we give in, we surrender, we surrender, we surrender, we surrendered our pinky, we didn't surrender our lives. We didn't give God our all. Amen? How patient has he been with us? Bearing with one another, verse 13, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Jesus Christ has forgiven us. We are to forgive others as he has forgiven us. Amen? We must also forgive. All of that has in the context of how we, believe it or not, think about each other, how we process our anger, and how we let all of that stuff come out in words that do not glorify God or represent his kingdom. Are you hearing me? Amen. So we're going back up to verse 6 and I'm done. Colossians 3 and 6. So the word of God says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now what he's saying here, even though that's verse 6, he's not saying that the sexual sins above it, the wrath of God is coming. No, he's saying all of this stuff we just mentioned. The wrath of God is coming. God's anger will come on filthy speech just like it will come on the fornicator. Whoa. Sometimes we think we are better than people since we stopped sleeping around. Are you hearing me? Sometimes we think we are better, but we lie. We, as in King James says, blaspheme. We marinate in our anger and things come out. We tell nasty jokes. Guess what? God has the same judgment reserved for liars and murderers and prostitutes and fornicators. It's the same judgment. Church folks tend to have a blind spot in this area when it comes to these sins. We have decided that there are certain sins that God punishes people for and there are certain sins we just get a pass on. And that's not true. The wrath of God is coming. So dealing with your unholy speech and heart attitude is just as important in dealing with your unholy sexual desires. You hear me? Okay. What I'm saying here, saints, is we are going to need an insurance policy in place for these sins. Why? Because we're not perfect. And Jesus came to save us from the wrath of God. So if we are talking like this, and thinking that that's flying underneath God's radar, we need to ask God for help. We need to say, Lord, I see this is a serious thing. I'm not going to minimize this thing just because I have moved from, you know, holiness 101 to holiness 401. And the truth of the matter is I never corrected my speech all through it. And your wrath is coming against that. So I'm going to need your, your protection against this. And what we have in protection is the grace of God. Amen. We have that we can repent of our sins, confess and, 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 and give him, you know, all those sins and tell him those things. He's faithful and just to, con to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So while, you know, we are dealing with these things, we need to take this very seriously and say, Lord, I need to be cleansed. I'm saved, 
but I need to be clean because my mouth is dirty. And what's causing my mouth to be dirty is I'm not seeing myself right, I'm not seeing you right, I'm not seeing what I'm doing right, and I'm not seeing others right. Amen? That's real. Now, here's my main point. Now, I know this may not hit some of us in this church because from what I see here in this church is we have very little issues with each other. I don't get calls from like, Pastor, I'm a, I'm a killer. I just, I just can't stand it. I just don't get those calls. I, there's not a lot of interpersonal, you know, there's just not a lot of, you know, we're a loving church. We love each other here. You know, there are a few things and, you know, some folks, you know, didn't want to stay and want to, you know, do some riffraff somewhere else. But the, the truth of the matter is, is, is even though we are a smaller church, I, I appreciate the fact that I don't have a lot of drama to deal with. God has blessed us with a loving church. We love each other up in here. And it's obvious, that, you know, I, I love that about our church. <sighs> yeah, but there's a knife. You're right, David. But we're not just a church in this building. Amen? We're also the church outside of this building. And this is where it hits me and maybe some of you. The question is, is how do we treat people in our homes as we're representing the church at our jobs? I know some of those folks are not saved. So they don't have the power in the inward man to act like Jesus. Nor do they have the power to treat relationships in the way that Jesus would treat them. But do we find ourselves acting just like them outside of this building? Hmm. Hmm? Come on, let's be honest. We're supposed to be the church everywhere. Not just in here. Do we harbor anger? In our homes. Now, I know we get up here and be like, how great is our God? But after we've done all that, and we go home, and we're dealing with that wife or that husband or those kids or those family members that we visit every now and then, huh? Are we walking in forgiveness as Christ has forgiven us? Ooh. Talking to me there. Huh? Huh? Do other people see us? as different than them in this world, as the church. When we leave here, is the impact of Jesus that's living in us, is it felt wherever we go? Hmm. I would say to you that God is working on me in these areas, especially when it comes to sins in the mouth. I'm not sleeping around, but I'm not done being glorified, right? I still have some issues. There's some things I need to work on as far as, you know, remembering, Jamie, before you say that sentence, you are part of the kingdom. Now, Mr. Ambassador, represent. Ooh. Right? Because I am the church. These behaviors, these sins of the mouth that start with the heart, that start with how we see people, that start with how I see myself and not putting on the new man and, 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 and the importance of that. These behaviors have no place in any Christian church or any church, Christian church member. These are part of the old life. 
before knowing Christ. Christians must resolutely put off these repulsive sins of anger in speech so that they can put on Christ's attitudes and put on his actions. So here's my challenge to you. We're not perfect. We're sitting under grace. We have the gospel preached to us, the gospel that we know, the gospel that is the power to salvation. It has changed our hearts, our minds, and most importantly, it has changed our position. We are now seen as children of God, by God. The question is, is are we seen as children of God by others? Have we decided to resolutely put on the new self? Is that what we are doing? Do we have incentive issues for that? Huh? Are we even trying? Do we even want to? Do we see a need for it? Here's the thing, saints. It's important that we change how we think and we change our speech because What's at stake here is the witness of the church, the testimony of the church. We're going around telling everybody we're saved. And the proof is not there sometimes in our actions, in our words. For that, we're going to need to call out and cry out to God on a consistent basis. Help us to even remember that we need to put on the new self. Help us to even desire to put on a new self. I am in a situation right now where I have to tell myself, Jamie, be Jesus here. Don't say that. Yes, you can get him. Yes, you're right. Yes, you can prove a point. Yes, you will win the argument or the battle. But keep your mind on the big war here. Amen? And the big war is not about you looking good. The big war is about you looking like Christ. Amen? Amen? So can we pray about that today? And, 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 and you know, in your own private time, can you also remember to pray about that for your pastor? Because as I'm preaching this to you, I'm getting hit in my gut because I noticed some things where these verses are like, you know, boy, you ain't doing that. You just ain't. And you have, you have here's my problem. Good reasons not to. You're right, right. I got logical, scientific. Go to a counselor, and it was like, you know what? That makes sense to me. But that ain't like Jesus. Jesus would say, okay, you got one nail in. You're going to do the other one? Right? I'm going to go ahead and talk like Jesus and be like Jesus. Help us, God, because... Jesus is our example, and we want to be like him in our families, right? I said it over and over again. We don't need a hit song anymore. What we need is men and women to act like Jesus and raise up other people to do the same. You know, we don't need another person to win a Super Bowl. What we need in this world is for people to act like Jesus, have a pattern of seeing folks acting like Jesus. I grew up watching my mom and my daddy act like Jesus. And what do you do when you get older? I grew up and do the same thing. You know? That's what we need. You know? Not fo church folks fighting church folks. And, 
You know, church folks pointing out the sins of others in the world who have no choice because they're under the bondage of Satan and they cannot escape his grip because God has not freed them yet. And we focus in so much on that and forgetting how we talk. Right? The wrath of God is coming against these things. The only way to escape that is to know Jesus Christ, to receive Christ, to believe the gospel, to have the blood of Christ over you so you are saved, to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, rely on what he has done, and to then begin to live like him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because anybody who habitually does these things and can feel nothing about how you talk, how you say, something's not right. Right? If you could just justify every sentence for your whole life, something ain't right. If you don't feel, you know, maybe you don't notice it at first, but maybe somebody, a brother or sister comes to you and says, you know, when you said that, Pastor Jamie, that wasn't, that wasn't right. And I got to hold defense instead of, you know what, wait a minute, I was out of pocket. I done brought my defense team. Instead of recognizing, wait a minute, I should have said that. You're right about that. Let me go take that in and, and take that before God. And let me try this thing again tomorrow. Amen? So I could, why? Why? Not just so I could be some wonderful person. No, there's something at stake. The testimony of the kingdom. The testimony of people of God. The people of God are actually looking like, talking like, thinking like Jesus. Put on the new self. Amen. Amen.